Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, yes, it's a rematch from four years ago for Georgia governor. First up, Democrat Stacey Abrams. When I didn't win the governor's race, not getting the job didn't exempt me from the work. And so I didn't quit. I got back to work. And of course, incumbent Brian Kemp. You just go look at the projects that we have done in rural parts of our state. Two record years in a row. Over 75% of the projects and over half the jobs that were created are in rural Georgia. So what's the pathway for each to win, along with other statewide offices and, of course, that race for U.S. Senate? Our political strategists, Julianne Thompson and Fred Hicks, they're back together again, like Hall and Oates. They'll weigh in on what to expect ahead of the November midterms. Also, the city of Atlanta is partnering with the Urban League to create a youth development grant program. We'll tell you all about that. Those conversations are coming up. But first this, a shock within the regional health care system. Wellstar Health System is closing its Atlanta Medical Center. The system announced a move in a statement last night. Jess Mador has more. Wellstar officials say operations at Atlanta Medical Center will shut down November 1st. In a statement, CEO Candace Saunders said, Wellstar's financial losses amid decreasing revenues, rising costs, and the challenges of the pandemic have made the Atlanta facility unsustainable. The nearly 500-bed hospital has stood in Atlanta for more than 100 years. It includes a level 1 trauma center, a stroke center, and a level 3 neonatal ICU. The nonprofit Wellstar also recently closed its ER department at Atlanta Medical Center South in East Point. Wellstar says it plans to begin winding down operations gradually ahead of the November closure. Jess Mador, WABE News. And we'll have more about this in just a moment with our politics reporter, Sam Greenglass. In other news, Atlanta has a new administrator overseeing the city's climate and food plans. As we hear from Molly Samuel, well, Atlanta's chief sustainability officer is new. Energy and equity expert Chandra Farley will fill the position, joining the mayor's cabinet. Recently, she ran in the Democratic primary for a seat on Georgia's Public Service Commission. She managed her own consulting practice and previously worked at the Partnership for Southern Equity and South Face Energy Institute. The Sustainability Office will work on the city's climate commitments, creating a comprehensive food plan, and help Atlanta get federal funding from the Infrastructure Bill and the Inflation Reduction Act. The city is also giving a promotion to John R. Seidel, who's been working on the city's resilience and sustainability efforts. He'll now be the deputy chief sustainability officer. Molly Samuel, WABE News. Democrats Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock are looking to display some party unity before the fall election season kicks off next week. The two campaign together in Cobb County as we hear from Sam Greenglass. Abrams and Warnock have mostly run their campaigns for governor and Senate on separate tracks. Questions bubbled up this week when Warnock declined to say if he'd campaign with Abrams. That sent the campaigns into cleanup mode. The next day, Abrams appeared at a Warnock rally. But let me tell you about my friend. I've known Senator Warnock for more than 15 this years. For and wherever there an is a extraordinary and visionary leader, my dear friend, and the next governor of the great state of Georgia, Stacey Abrams. In polls, Warnock has eked out a slim lead over his Republican opponent, Herschel Walker. Meanwhile, Abrams has been trailing incumbent Governor Brian Kemp. The two Republican nominees haven't formally campaigned together. Sam Greenglass, WABE News, Marietta. 
Meanwhile, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has released a new campaign ad with a focus about all the efforts his office has been instrumental in, and it's relating to the state's rural regions. You just go look at the projects that we have done in rural parts of our state. Two record years in a row, over 75% of the projects and over half the jobs that were created are in rural Georgia. But as mentioned a moment ago, Wellstar Health System is closing its Atlanta Medical Center. That's the one located in the old Fourth Ward neighborhood off Boulevard. Well, joining me now to talk more about all this and what we're hearing from local leader, leaders is our WAB politics reporter, Sam Greenglass. Sam, Hi, welcome. Hey. Hi. Man, you've been busy. Uh, you know, it's not even Labor Day yet, and yet it feels like we are off to the races on this campaign, just one thing after another. Let's begin here. As I mentioned earlier, this sent shockwaves through, throughout the healthcare system. This closure caught the attention of the governor's race. Let's start with what Governor Brian Kemp is saying. So the governor's office released a brief statement after the news broke last night, and a spokesperson for Kemp said that the governor shares the community's concerns about this closure. And they said that Kemp is going to keep working to bring down costs and expand access to health care in Georgia. And what are we hearing from his Democratic challenger, Stacey Abrams? So Abrams has been banging this drum for a long time, since the 2018 campaign, that hospital closures like this one are a direct result of Governor Brian Kemp and his Republican predecessors not expanding Medicaid in the state of Georgia. Uh, you know, if you remember when she launched her second campaign for governor earlier this year, she did it in front of a shuttered rural hospital in Cuthbert. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, this week she pointed out that this closure is a lot closer to home here in Metro Atlanta, uh, not some far flung rural county. And so that should wake people up that now uh, one of Atlanta's two level one trauma centers will now be closed. Sam, is there any indication from our state lawmakers uh, that this could spur any action? Uh, could it also relate to perhaps more legislative action regarding Medicaid expansion? What are you hearing? Well, first of all, Kemp's office and Wellstar are pushing back on the idea that Medicaid expansion would have saved this hospital. Um, whereas Ab Abrams and some other Democrats and health experts say that hospitals like Wellstar, they treat a lot of uninsured patients. And that's one reason that the finances haven't been able to work for hospitals like like Atlanta Medical Center. Um, when it comes to revisiting this idea of Medicaid expansion, um, Republicans have been pretty dug in on their unwillingness to fully expand it at least. Uh, though remember a couple years ago, Kemp moved to apply for a waiver that mm -hmm. would allow him to do something like a partial expansion. It would cover fewer people than the full expansion. It would include work requirements, make some people pay premiums. And just last month in August, uh, a judge said Georgia could implement that. Uh, mm -hmm. It hasn't happened yet, so we'll see what happens there. And then one other piece to note, uh, our Georgia Votes co-host Emma Hurt has reported that some Republicans' position on Medicaid expansion might actually be changing, mm -hmm. especially rural legislators. So we will see what happens next session when we have a different chamber and also potentially a different person in the governor's office. Well, are you hearing about any other means of intervening in closures of health centers in the Atlanta area? And let's be really clear, too, now that is prime real estate over there as well. Yeah, so Kemp has said that talks are happening among providers in Atlanta to try and fill whatever new gaps are created by this closure. Um, but Mayor Andre Dickens, in a letter to Wellstar, yesterday said that there are still a lot of unanswered questions that he was blindsided by this basically and he wants to know more about how the company is going to deal with the health impacts the economic impacts like you mentioned what's going to happen to this big piece of property right in the old fourth ward and also what's going to happen to all the people who work there right now so still a lot of unanswered questions uh, as this news trickles out at the end of the week and it is a trauma center and when you think about uh, what this now also means in terms of for grady hospital which is probably what everyone's thinking wow does this add just more in terms of the patient influx for Grady which is also obviously a trauma center you have Piedmont which is not too far away as well but uh, a, a lot of a lot of implications here if this indeed does close WAB's politics reporter Sam Greenglass as always we appreciate you taking the time for this very important story thank you Rose
Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Here we are. Same place we were four years ago. It's a rematch, yes, between Democrat Stacey Abrams and Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Now, Abrams has been touting she's been busy since 2018. When I didn't win the governor's race, not getting the job didn't exempt me from the work. And so I didn't quit. I got back to work, paid off the medical debt of 68,000 Georgians helping small businesses stay alive, making sure they had the financing they needed, and putting money into the pockets of families, trying my best to make sure that every Georgian had access and opportunity. Meanwhile, after beating Donald Trump's candidate, David Perdue, Governor Brian Kemp has been highlighting what he sees as achievements and just dropped a new campaign ad of his own. Politicians will lie, but numbers do not. You just go look at the projects that we have done in rural parts of our state. Two record years in a row. Over 75% of the projects and over half the jobs that were created are in rural Georgia. And if you look at the dots on the map where those projects are, it is all over this state. Speaking of state, there are other statewide races, of course, as well as that U.S. Senate seat and, of course, district elections. So here's that question. What's the pathway to victory and what are the two major parties? How are they doing? Well, let's welcome back, because it's been a minute, political strategist Julianne Thompson and Fred Hicks. Julianne is a Republican strategist and president of Main Street Network Strategies. Fred Hicks is an Atlanta-based political strategist and demographer. He's really he's really into numbers and such, so I'll tease him about that. Welcome back. Thank you, Rose, for having us. Thanks for having us. Let's begin here, because now that it's September 1st, a couple of months out, Julianne, I'll begin with you. Um, what are you hearing from the Georgia's Republican base about their chances in November? I think that the Republicans feel uh, fairly confident about going into uh, the November general election. Um, of course, some races are closer than others, uh, but I think at this point in time, uh, though the, the lead is a small one, uh, the vast majority of, well, actually all of our statewide electeds are holding somewhat of a lead. Let me stay with you for a moment because Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell made headlines when he was asked about the upcoming midterms and the GOP chances. There's a, probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Uh, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Now, Julianne, that was a little over two weeks ago. McConnell did attempt to downplay his comments, but this did not go over well with the party. What do you make of that? Uh, Well, you know, I think that we most definitely do have the ability to flip the Senate as well. Um, And, you know, I think that's why you're seeing uh, Herschel Walker's poll numbers are rising and why right now, according to the latest polls, uh, he holds a, a, a narrow but 2% lead over Warnock, I think, in the latest Emerson College poll, I think it was. And Fred, let's go over to the Democrats. Uh, what are you hearing in terms of how they're feeling about going into November, their chances? Well, I think there's a growing sense of optimism. You know, campaigns ebb and flow, and you really, we always say that you get a real good sense post-Labor Day. But I think going into this Labor Day weekend, given the big wins in D.C. that the president has had, um, he had a really good August. The first first week was was a bit of a struggle. The last two three weeks have been great, and I think Democrats have turned to feel really optimistic, maybe even about holding the House and, and definitely holding the Senate. Fred, you've always said that, listen, we're going to have a lot of money flowing into Georgia. Julian, you said this, too. Uh, if we haven't seen enough, we're going to surely see it after Labor Day weekend. Is that what you're saying, Fred? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I read a couple of weeks ago that the Republicans are looking at pouring 39 million in September into Georgia. A lot of it concentrated in that Sanford Bishop uh, congressional seat because that really would give them a three for one, right? If they can make that seat competitive or flip it, that will also help the governor and that will also help Herschel Walker. So we're talking about 39 million just from one of the many outside committees. And we're not talking about the candidate money or these leadership packs. We're just talking about one of these outsourced, outside um, organizations. Julian, in that clip that I play with Brian Kemp, his latest campaign ad, where he's telling Georgia's rural voters, look, this is what has happened since I've been governor. This is what I pledge to continue to do. What do you make of that? Any concerns that perhaps some of those rural voters might not vote for the governor? No, I think they're going to vote for the governor. And I think that that's uh, you know, pretty evident in the fact that the Democrats feel that uh, CD2 is in play. I mean, you've got a lot of farmers that ordinarily were supporting Sanford Bishop that are overwhelmingly supporting Chris West right now. And so you're going to see Republicans look at that at CD2 as something that they that is actually within reach, although you know, it, it's certainly not a, a CD1, it's certainly not a CD9 or a 14, but it's closer in play than it's ever been before. Fred, when we talk about Georgia's rural population, and, and I know I've said this maybe 800 times, it's always been okay for the Democrats around Atlanta, perhaps the majority of these, this 13 region, this 13 county region around here, Democrats, for the most part, can have a pretty pretty good hold here and that when you get outside to the rest of Georgia that's where their challenges lie you heard what Julian just had to say about the rural voters you see any any difference there that perhaps this time you might be able your your Democrats might be able to sway some of those rural voters well you have to try that's the first thing and if you can gain a couple of points here and there that makes a difference you know Rose I say all the time on the show that the the elections in Georgia are one along the margins, a half percent here, 1% there, and different groups and all of that. So I don't think that uh, Democrats are expected to win rural Georgia any more than uh, Republicans are expected to win African-American votes, but uh, majority of that, but you got to try and you shave votes here and there, and it gives you a better chance. Well, let's talk about that for a moment, because if you're talking about a path to victory, does it then just simple that for the Democrats, they have to get folks to just go down the ballot, they have to secure the down vote here? with Stacey Abrams at the top? Well, I think it depends on, on the race that you're talking about. So Raphael Warnock is at the top, and we see that he's performing a couple of points better consistently um, than, than than Stacey Abrams. And that's important. Ballot position is important because, you know, as I said on air, I believe that uh, a lot of Republicans are, are, are okay with Senator Warnock. And there there's, a, a again, a portion who are not okay with Herschel Walker slash the Trump candidates. And we saw that in the Republican primary with Governor, with Governor Kemp won 73% of the vote. So when you have Senator Warnock and then you have all of the other candidates led by Stacey Abrams. Well, but the state in, for the statewide offices, what I'm talking about here, but Julian, you agree with what Fred is saying there that, you know, perhaps once you get past then Senator Warnock, then it, it really, could it be a toss up in terms of what the voters will do? Well, as I said before, um, the Republican, all of the Republican statewide candidates are in a narrow lead right now. Um, I think that the one uh, statewide Republican elected official that has a comfortable enough lead uh, going forward, you know, to to really not be too worried is Brad Raffensperger, um, believe it or not. And who would have thought that, you know, uh, with the with all of the attacks that that he endured uh, from the former president and you know, from from so many people um, around the state of Georgia, and he has overcome all that to to gain the confidence of the people of Georgia, and he's doing extremely well. So, you know, I think when you look at his race and when you look at the at the lead that the other Republican candidates have, I truly do believe that I'm I'm fairly comfortable that Republicans will be victorious in November. Well, Julian, let me stay with you for a moment. Let me ask you this, because then, is there a voter block that you think the Republicans have to secure a certain percentage of it, whether it could be the Hispanic vote, Asian American vote, maybe the black vote, the black male vote. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Is there a voter block that she, that concerns you for your party? I don't think that there is any voter block that Republicans should not be trying to reach out to. I think that they should be trying to reach out to everyone and find common ground, find consensus on issues. 
uh, that, that we agree on and campaign on those issues. And first and foremost, in 2020, that main issue is the economy, um, you know, because there, there are many issues out there that, you know, that the base is talking about the Democratic base or the Republican base. But the bottom line is when people can't afford to fill their cars up with gas, when they can't afford to buy, you know, into the American dream by buying a new house because housing prices are so high and mortgage rates are going up and they can't give their children the kind of future that they want to, those are the issues that are going to be discussed at the kitchen table every night by mom and dad and the family. And those are going to be the issues that drive the voters in November. Fred, let me come over to you. And Julianne, you can weigh in on this, too, because a few weeks ago, Stacey Abrams, and this is a quote, if black men vote for me, I will win Georgia, close quote. She said that during a campaign event. Um, it was called, I believe, Stacy and the Fellows, and it was up in a, a Cobb County uh, restaurant. Uh, what do you make of that, Fred? So uh, I want to come back to that. I want to address something that Julianne just said, and this dovetails into this. I think the Democrats are allowing Republicans to speak out of both sides of their mouths with this. On the one hand, you see other commercials from Brian Kemp saying this is the Abrams and and Biden economy. On this, and then on the other side of his mouth, he says, Georgia's robust. We have a five, six billion dollar surplus and things are doing, going well in Georgia. And I think the Democrats really need to call him out on that and say, you know what? You can't separate or divorce Georgia's economy from the national efforts, particularly when so much of the Georgia economy comes from the, uh, the dollars come from the CARES Act and things like that. And I think that Democrats, I personally am very frustrated. I want to see uh, uh, the Democrats call them out and say, you can't have it both ways. Either the economy is strong and great, and that's that is the Biden Abrams economy and Warnock, or it's bad, and that's on and that's on on on, on Governor Kemp. Well, hold on, so hold on. Let me, let me let Julianne uh, respond to that. You heard what Fred had to say. I do, but I, I think that that the voters in Georgia are smart enough to know that what is happening uh, with regard to the economy, what is happening with inflation, has everything to do with what's going on federally and not what's going on here in the state of Georgia. And they're happy with the job that Brian Kemp has done. They're happy with the fact that he kept the state of Georgia open during uh, during a time during the pandemic when many other states were closed. And as a result, Georgians are doing far better than those citizens in those states that were closed down. All right. Now, Fred, let me come back to you. Let's talk about what Stacey Abrams said a few weeks ago. Yeah. If black men vote for me, I'll win Georgia. Absolutely. You know, uh, I think I said this on the other last time I was on, but I believe that black men will be the deciding factor of this election side, of this election and going forward. And the reason for that, I did a little data run. Um, you have about 70,000 African-Americans, uh, African-American men who voted in the November 2020 election and didn't vote in January or any election since then. As you look at black men who voted in either of those, that is Jan- November 2020 or the January 5th election that saw Senator Warnock and Ossoff elected, and didn't vote in any other election. That's almost another 350,000 voters out there. And that's more than enough when you're talking about a 50,000, 60,000 vote margin between Democrats and Republicans, that's more than enough out there. And I think that the recognition that black men will be the deciding factor is not just in Stacey Abrams' actions, but I think we're starting to see the governor make outreach and do make overtures to to, to African-American voters and particularly to African, African-American men now, that's probably driven by the fact that you have two black men at the top of the ticket. But the reality is that at this point, when you have we, we know that black women are the most loyal voting bloc for for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. We know that rural Georgia and all that, that you have things that are sort of calcified. Um, the one place we have some potential movement is with black men. Well, well, hold on for a second before I let Julianne weigh in on this, because depending on which poll you agreed with four years ago in the post you know, in the exit polls, it appeared that perhaps 12 to maybe 14 percent. And again, it depends on which poll you were looking at, had said that black men voted for Brian Kemp. Is that a percentage that Stacey Abrams needs to dig into, carve out for her to win? Oh, absolutely. I mean, she she wants that number to be she needs that number to be below 10 percent um, for for the Republican voters. Now, Governor Deal in his re-election, his goal was to get it to 10 percent. And I think uh, if I remember right, he ended up right around 10, 11 percent. And then um, Governor Kemp's goal was to move it up, you know, hold or move it up a couple of percentage points. And if he can get that to 20 percent, which is what the exit polls said that Donald Trump received in 2020, then that makes it very difficult for Stacey Abrams to win. That 20 percent, are you saying that was nationwide or that was statewide? 
Well, twenty percent nationwide for 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 President Trump. He went from thirteen percent in twenty twenty to twenty percent in twenty sixteen to twenty percent in twenty twenty, uh, which is a huge huge jump, especially all things considered. So I think that if Governor, given that Governor Kemp was able to build on Governor Deal's success from twenty twelve or twenty. Uh, 2014 to 2018, if he can match that or grow that, that's really problematic for the Democrats. And so for Stacey Abrams and for Senator Warnock, they need that number. We need that number to be below 10 percent to have a to have a really good chance of winning this. Julianne, what do you make of that? Stacey Abrams saying I need the black male vote to win here. All right. Well, I agree with everything that Fred just said um, in his analysis of this. Uh, I think I'll go back to what I said earlier, that Republicans are aware of the fact that they need to do outreach to as many voting blocks as possible and find consensus with those voting blocks. Donald Trump was able to do that. He was able to bring over 20 percent. And Fred, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but 20 percent is the largest voting block of African-American males that Republican that a Republican presidential candidate has received. And uh, so Brian Kemp needs to tap into that same momentum. And, you know, I, I know that he's doing outreach to all voting blocks, as are all Republicans. So, you know, we'll see how that turns out going forward. Well, let's talk about then the, the main, another main factor here, or maybe it's not, Julianne, Donald Trump. St- Although some of his candidates have been defeated here, and obviously, you know, we know what happened last night in Alaska. And depending on who you ask, because Tom Cotton says that, you know, uh, the ranking system is a scam, but that's a whole nother show. Um, Is Donald Trump still a factor here for Georgia? I don't think he is a factor for Georgia. I think that Georgia is kind of proving itself to be uh, sort of like a smaller version of Texas when it comes to our independent thinking. Um, I think, oh, I absolutely do. Um, I absolutely do. When you look at a lot of the states where Donald Trump's candidates did extraordinarily well across the country, you saw a different story here in Georgia. Georgia was more independent with their thinking. Georgia Republicans were more independent with their thinking. And other than Burt Jones, uh, all of the other candidates that statewide candidates that were endorsed by the former president were not successful in the primary. So although I do believe that many Republicans in the state of Georgia like the former president, mm-hmm. I don't believe that they are going to let the former president decide who they are going to vote for in the state of Georgia where they live. Well, let me ask you this then. Though uh, January 6th, is that still an issue? Do you think voters, particularly Republican voters, and Fred, you can weigh in in a second too, is, will that still be top of mind as folks begin to make their selection their selections heading think, into the polling. I think what's on the top of the the voting minds of, of people across the board, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, um, is the economy. I don't think it's January 6th. I don't think it's abortion. Although I do think that for some of the swing voters, abortion may be mm-hmm. may factor into it somewhat. However, that being said, I I don't see January 6th um, being a major issue. As you can see by a lot of the poll numbers following the hearings, um, it really didn't have any sort of big impact. Fred, what do you want to say? So I think a couple of things. Number one, three things. Number one, to say that Georgia voters are more independent, uh, I understand Julian's position, but I, I, I think a more direct statement is that Georgia rejected Donald Trump in 2020. They rejected his candidates in early 2021, and then the Republican Party rejected him in, in the primary this year. As Julian pointed out, only Burt Jones uh, emerged. Everyone from Jake Evans, Vernon Jones, most notably David Perdue, mm-hmm. they all lost, and they lost pretty in pretty glorious fashion. And so, you know, again, Donald Trump and Trumpism again was first rejected by Georgians, and then but within the party. Now, I think that uh, since Julian brought up the the issue of abortion. I think that that is actually an, an area where we're messaging more matter. And it comes back again, I think, to how Democrats talk about it. If they talk about it in terms of abortion, then then that's one thing. But I think if they talk about it in terms of the implications of the heartbeat bill, that's another thing. We know, and I know we will talk about this, but we know that the majority of Jordan, Georgians uh, do not agree with the, over, the decision to overturn Roe. Well, Julian t- talked about the economy being of top of mind. 
for many voters, obviously in the inflation, everything that's happening. Hey, listen, we're still dealing with COVID. And now, you know, although we seem to have a hold on it, so to speak, with the monkeypox virus. So health care, health and wellness is still up there. But, Fred, you see an abortion for those who align it with reproductive justice, uh, women's more maternal mortality, all of that. You think that will also be top of mind for a lot of voters? Absolutely. So the economy is improving. So if the Republicans are pegging their hopes to the economy, that's actually a good thing for Democrats. But inflation in the economy in every poll does rank as number one. So we can kind of push that to the side um, and, and just accept that. So then we start looking at the underlying other underlying issues that might make a difference. Again, when we're talking about one or two points here and there. And uh, and Rose, I know you you have the ACLU of Georgia just can just completed their work that we did with them looking at this issue. And it was really interesting that we found that 51% of Georgians across the board um, disagreed with the decision to overturn Roe. It was actually, the survey was a little bit more conservative and mm-hmm. that it had about 40% of the respondents who were self-identified as Republicans and 32% as Democrats. So even with that right-leaning in the right-leaning sample, you still had a majority who said that, that uh, they disagreed with the decision and you had a plurality who said that they are more likely to support a candidate who who supports choice and expanding choice as opposed to someone who wants to limit choice. So, again, I think that, you know, we move beyond the economy. We get down to issues that impact Georgians. And we know that Georgia is the worst with maternal health. We know that the gap in health care for black women um, and, and all other women is, is, is most pronounced in Georgia. We know that the infant mortality rate, all these health care issues, and then you throw in the closings outside of Atlanta, and then, of course, Wellstar today, you start talking about health and reproductive health, and where can someone go? If you're saying, listen, you have to get a, you have to make a decision within the first six weeks, because I mean, you might not even know you're pregnant, but if you are, um, you, you, you have to now make a decision, mm-hmm. and if you make a decision beyond that, that you're subject to your privacy being invaded, right? So, you know, because the heartbeat bill gives expanded powers for uh, search, searching of apps and computers, and then you're, you're talking about who reports it, right? Does a college professor notice that a student is, is, you know, is pregnant and she's she was gone from class for a few weeks and now she doesn't appear to be pregnant? Does that professor have to report that? Um, if you're looking in these smaller counties, does a DA or a sheriff go knock on someone's door, a pregnant person's door, and say you're no longer pregnant? What happened? Prove to us that you had a miscarriage versus having an abortion. And we're seeing this. We're seeing this in other places. We're seeing these well, stories emerge. Well, and we want to be clear, too, because at six weeks, you cannot look at someone, though, and, and, and tell that. Well, correct. But I'm yeah. saying, but even as you move beyond, I'm saying sure. so the six week thing is one thing. And then the powers that the that the heartbeat bill gives to, to law enforcement, even beyond what if a woman has a miscarriage and they have to they can have to prove sure. there was a miscarriage and not an abortion. And we're seeing this happen in other places. These are all things that I think if voters start to understand what they passed mm-hmm. could really imp- have impact an impact on this election. Let's talk about debates for a moment before I let you all go. Julianne, it's I don't know. Is Will Herschel Walker debate Raphael Warnock? First, I hear he might. Then he will. Then he won't. What, what's happening here? Because I think a lot of folks want to see it. What are you hearing? I'm hearing, and I know for a fact, that Walker has accepted a debate on October 14th in Savannah, which is uh, being hosted by the Next Tier Media, Media Group. Um, and I know that his campaign has stated that they hope that uh, Senator Warnock will accept the invitation on his part to debate Herschel Walker in his hometown. All right. Fred, debates, voter influence at that at this point, if folks haven't made up their mind, will the debate be a deciding factor for him? I think in the Senate election, it certainly can. I think, again, the governor's race, people have their very strong opinions. And so it's a matter of who just turn, who turns out to vote. But I think in the Senate election, um, in the Senate race, it could very well make a difference. Uh, in the case of Herschel Walker, if he can come across as competent and putting together complete sentences and responses that make sense to people, then that would greatly help his standing. If he does, as he's been doing on the trail, then that would, I think, put the final nail in the coffin mm-hmm. for his election. So, again, for the Senate race... I think it can make a really big difference. Governor and other races, probably not as much. Fred, who is vulnerable through your lens in terms of statewide races here? What office, what, what race are you paying close attention to that could be, well, not, I, I, not, not victory for either party? 
Well, I think the I think the state superintendent of schools race is one that's really really interesting because again you have Alicia Thomas Searcy, former legislator, um, who's a superintendent of a, of, a, of, a, of a school system, versus Richard Wood, who's really been a low key person. Uh, he's just been about doing his what he feels like is the job there. But schools are very important now with the shootings in Uvalde uh, and all the other issues coming sure. out of COVID, the lost year of learning. All of those kinds of things. So I think that's one seat to watch. I think that um, I think also the AG race is going to be really interesting because Jen Jordan has the money, um, and so I, and I think she'll be very aggressive in her approach there. So I'm looking at that race as well. Those those two really outside of the ones we've talked about. Julianne, what do you think? You mentioned the Secretary of State's office could be interesting, but what other races do, might be vulnerable for Republicans or Democrats? No, I think that the Secretary of State's race is is going to be. Uh, pretty firm for Raffensperger. I think he's going to win without a problem. Um, I do think that our other statewide elected officials are, are, you know, they're in the lead, but it's a narrow lead. And so we need to always uh, be working like we're behind, even if we're ahead. Uh, I would, the race that I would point out as being the biggest surprise to me and in play is Congressional District 2, Sanford Bishop versus Chris West. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see how that, uh, how that pans out and how much money and grassroots manpower, both political parties put into that. Maybe we should have a debate for that district on Closer Look. What do you think? Maybe. <laughs> you know, can, we, can we all, can we all like co-moderate that? You, no, you neither one of y'all are going to be, n- no, or as my granddaddy would say, no, nah, no, no political strategists are going to be part of any I mean, debate Julian, Julian that I'm part of. Bishop and I'll ask Chris West and then, you know, you just keep us in control. No, 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 no. Y'all, y'all, y'all stay in your little lanes over there. Fred Hicks, an Atlanta-based political strategist and demographer, Julianne Thompson, a Republican strategist and president of Main Street Network Strategies. Good conversation. Thank you both. Good to have y'all back again. And I want to apologize. I said Hall and Oates. A listener said, well, why'd you use two men? Okay, how about Peaches and Herb? Is that better? <laughs> Astrid and Simpson. Astrid and Simpson. Captain and Tennille. I don't know. I tell our listeners, they, they be on me, but that's okay. That's what you're supposed to do. Get on me. You know, I can take it. I appreciate y'all. All right, thank you. Take care. <laughs> And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. The city of Atlanta wants to support local community-based organizations that serve Atlanta students in grades K-12. Mayor Andre Dickens and the city council have authorized a million dollars from the American Rescue Plan Act funds, and it's solely for a youth development grant program. And the money will be awarded to those organizations as the city cited by the mayor's office, quote, those that support joint efforts to provide students with several meaningful enrichment opportunities, including remediate learning loss, increase pathways to opportunity, and improve public safety, close quote. And the organization tapped to administer the funding is the Urban League of Greater Atlanta. Joining the program now with more is President and CEO Nancy Flake-Johnson. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, Rose. You know, before we dig deeper into the grant program, I do want to get your thoughts on on just what you all are seeing at the Urban League of, of Atlanta. I mean, in terms of people needing assistance, what are you hearing the most? And I, because we're in an inflation, so I'm, I'm imagining maybe housing issues. What, what are you all hearing? Number one is stable, affordable housing hmm. by far. Uh, every single day I'm receiving calls, text messages. Our agency is flooded. Uh, people, uh, the, the land, here's what's happening on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Landlords who, many of whom who took big hits during the pandemic because of the moratorium um, have made a very concerted decision across the board um, that they, in my humble opinion, it boils down to this. We don't want to serve low to moderate income families anymore. The market is demanding much higher rents and we're going to get them. And so even for um, families who are current with their rent, when their leases are up, they're not being, they're being, the rates are being raised 30%, 25% beyond their capacity. They were already stretched, mm. paying 50% or more of their net take home to keep a roof over their heads. So it, it's, it's really becoming a, a, quite a crisis. 
I have a friend who has a home who is going to work with, I believe, the Atlanta Housing Authority. They said, look, you know, Rose, we want to want to be part of the solution, the vouchers. We will accept vouchers. But not every landlord wants to even accept the vouchers, even They're though you know you're going to get paid vouchers. every rent. Every month you're going get, right. to get the rent. And the, you, the vouchers are being declined. The rents are being raised. And and still many families are, while they're getting back to work, they're just getting back. And wages, quite frankly, have not risen anywhere close to the percentage of increase of cost between mm-hmm. food and your basic housing. Very disturbing, Rose. But we have some some relief that is available. And we want to make sure people know the state Georgia Department of Community Affairs, uh, www.paymyrent.ga.gov. Apply, apply, apply. Fulton County, all, most of the big counties and, and resources. Urban League has some. I'm glad you said that. And we'll put a link on our website as well. Let's talk about then this this develop this youth development grant program. You all, this is nothing new to you all. You all are in the business of helping and providing resources. This is something that the mayor's office has approved. A million dollars may not sound like a lot, but for our listeners who are not familiar, tell them exactly what you all are hoping, what type of organizations will apply for this funding. We are looking to support grassroots, community-based, youth-serving organizations. Uh, K through, uh, from kindergarten up through high school, uh, K through 12, 18-year-olds, we want them to um, receive more services to get support for learning loss. Mm-hmm. Many, you know, our, our low to moderate income families were hit the hardest with uh, COVID and, you know, being disconnected from school. Uh, much more difficult for those families to have the tools and the high speed Internet access and the supervision. Mm-hmm. Let's face it. Parents have to work. Kids have to you know, be home. It's been a very challenging situation. Now, do the organizations need to mostly help folks within the city of Atlanta, students in APS, or just as long as they're in the city within the city of Atlanta? They they have to be based and serving city of Atlanta youth uh, that are connected ideally to the Atlanta public school system. Um, And so it is specifically ARPA funds that have been allocated to the city of Atlanta, the mayor and the city council have dedicated a million dollars to go directly to these organizations. And what has the response been like so far? Because there are going to be two grant cycles, correct? There actually will likely be three. Wow. Um, We did one uh, in August uh, that has closed and those applications uh, are starting to be vetted. Uh, uh, those um, awards will be made in weeks. Uh, we'll have a second cycle in the fall and then a third cycle in the first of the year. Yeah. And uh, these funds will have to be expended by June 30th of 2023. You have been in this space for a long time, so you know the importance of grassroots or, as we say, organizations that are meeting folks where they are. You all are tapped with administering this, but what do you think is the key for folks to understand the importance of some of these smaller grassroots organizations that are meeting people right there in their community? Nothing against yes. the bigger nonprofits. Don't y'all send me an email. But for yeah. the small, because <laughs> they will, because for the smaller ones who are boots on the ground, as they say, and, and, and in the community. Listen, at, at the end of the day, it's all about connecting with the people in the community who need those resources. Um Grassroots organizations are right there in the neighborhood. They're right where people live oftentimes. And so, you know, they're the ones that are helping oftentimes the youth that need it the most, need the support the most. So we're looking for um, academic enrichment programming. Mm -hmm. We're looking for um, uh, the arts, STEAM. A lot of our students who couldn't go to school got disconnected from the arts and Mm -hmm. STEAM and athletic programs cultural enrichment opportunities. Um, you know, it, the entrepreneurship, you know, we've, we've had so many uh, opportunities uh, that we want to take to serve our, you know, the, the, our infamous water boys, if mm-hmm. you will, young people who have really, you know, used their innate skills to figure out ways to support their families. And let's talk about the connection 
because you've seen the headlines as well, violent crimes continuing. And we just talked about this yesterday on this program, especially among teens and young adults. How a program like this for those organizations that are helping kids K through 12 can also keep them out of perhaps making some some very poor choices. Listen, we've always known that keeping youth engaged and involved in productive activities, being exposed to mentors who can guide them and help them develop socially, emotionally, academically, is what really keeps young people on a very positive path. And, um, you know, the economics of things are contributing to this escalation in crime. We have to look to the root causes of what's driving people. Um, We've had so much uh, deprivation. Uh, Basic needs are not being met. And when basic needs are not being met, mental health is affected. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just young people, though. Young people, uh, the highest incidences of crime are probably there, but we have a number of uh, violence issues uh, with people learning to cope with uh, struggle. Yesterday during the program with the community leaders that I, I had on the program, they talked about that C word community and that it is a holistic approach to combating the, the, the rise in youth uh, violence here. What through your lens, though, Madam CEO, that you think we're not talking about as much. Like, what are we missing in terms of combating youth violence and also providing the providing the support that households need where the youth are coming from? This, to your point, it's a holistic issue. Here's the thing. We've got 30% of the city's population is living in poverty, probably higher than that. This isn't isn't just city of Atlanta. We're talking throughout the state. Urban League is in the process of uh, developing a state of black Georgia report. Mm-hmm. We'll want to come back and talk to you about that. We're visiting six regional communities where the majority of black residents live in both urban and rural settings. And the conditions are the same across the state. You know, lack of adequate housing, at lack of adequate education and training mm-hmm. to plug into this number one state for business employment opportunities. Mm-hmm. But there is an opportunity right now that we must leverage at, at several. One is the federal funding that's coming in. We need to ensure that's equi- equitably invested in the communities that need those resources the most. And the second piece is we have the opportunity to train people in two years or less for livable wage jobs because the workforce has shifted in the skill sets it requires. But you also said just a moment ago to look, you know, what hasn't increased our wages. So how are you, how do you all maneuver through that? Are you making sure then that you're trying when to- When I say wages, mm-hmm. I mean the uh, unskilled labor okay. wages. Low wage earners. Skilled labor wages mm-hmm. are up. So in our urban tech program, in partnership with TechBridge, we can take people in 16 weeks or less to a fifty-five, dollars $60,000 a year job in 16 weeks. Now, you got to have the aptitude for IT, but a lot of our people do. And um, you have to have the ability to be educated during the day, though more and more of our courses are offered weekends and evenings. So... The opportunities are there in healthcare. The opportunities are there in construction and the building trades, transportation and logistics. But there are certifications you must have to mm-hmm. access those jobs. And that's what you all want to help provide for folks. Right. Well, that's right. You, you know, you've been on this program a number of times. You've talked about these wonderful programs that you all have. Are you all doing enough to in outreach to let people know? Because then I'll always get emails to say, Rose, I had, had no idea what the Urban League of Greater Atlanta did. I didn't know they offered this. Is that a challenge yes. for you all trying to get the message out? Always, always a challenge uh, to market. But we're not lacking in people. It's really more about scale, Rose. Mm-hmm. It's about scale. So all of our programmings are, are, are we, we fill up to capacity. But we need to be able to serve more, as do other community-based organizations like us that are doing this work. And so these ARPA funds, these federal funds, 
we need a fair share so we can scale up to get it ready for this infrastructure jobs. Those are going to pay well. Well, how is the money flowing for you all in terms of your funding that you need? Or is that a whole other segment? (laughs) Not like I'd like it. Uh, We've applied to the uh, governor's uh, resources for infrastructure, broadband, economic mobility, et cetera. We weren't awarded resources, and I know many others, but we keep putting it, we're going to keep putting in the applications. It's interesting because I, I had a conversation with a representative from Visa who they have a program where they're trying to connect a thousand households with, with access to high speed internet, also providing a free year of tech support. And the guest that I had talked about, she made the connection between poverty and technology that even if you're not. First of all, just forget that you're not connected. But people need to understand that when you are connected, you open up a, a whole nother opportunity well, to learn about jobs in this in this this tech boom that we're in. Absolutely. And you've got to have the skills to navigate the technology to get those jobs. And so we're partnered with PCs for People, a new organization to the region to get laptops and and um, devices. Uh, connection devices in the hands of low to moderate income families. Uh, So we're doing all we can, uh, partnering with organizations like, you know, Comcast and those Mm -hmm. low cost, high speed internet opportunities. Nancy Flake Johnson is the president and CEO of the Urban League of Greater Atlanta. Again, as always, thank you for making time for us and thank you for all that you. you all are doing to help so many households. Absolutely. We look forward to administering that grant on behalf of the mayor and getting more use to services they deserve. And we'll have a link on our website. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you always. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. So just send me an email because y'all do it all the time. Rose at wabe.org. And again, we'll have links to all the programs that Nancy Flake Johnson talked about on our website today. If you missed any of the program, again, it's on our website, wabe.org slash Closer Look and Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. and in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Now stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.